Chapter Twenty One of the Vanished Messenger by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Today, Hamel declared, as he stood at the sideboard the following morning at breakfast time and helped himself to bacon and eggs, I am positively going to begin reading. I have a case full of books down at the tower which I haven't unpacked yet. Esther made a little grimace. Look at the sunshine, she said. There isn't a breath of wind, either. I think today that I could play from the men's tees. Hamel sighed as he returned to his place. My good intentions are already half dissipated, he admitted. She laughed. How can we attack the other half, she asked. Gerald, who was also on his way to the sideboard, suddenly stopped. Hello, he exclaimed, looking out of the window. Who's going away this morning, I wonder? There's the Rolls-Royce at the door. Hamel, too, rose once more to his feet. The two exchanged swift glances. Moved by a common thought, they both started for the door, only to find it suddenly open before them. Mr. Fentlin glided into the room. Uncle, Gerald exclaimed. Mr. Fentlin glanced keenly around the room. Good morning, everybody, he said. My appearance at this hour of the morning naturally surprises you. As a matter of fact, I have been up for quite a long time. Esther, dear, give me some coffee, will you? And be sure that it is hot. If any of you want to say good-bye to Mr. John P. Dunster, you'd better hurry out. You mean that he's going? Hamel asked incredulously. He is going, Mr. Fentland admitted. I washed my hands of the man. He has given us an infinite amount of trouble, has monopolized Dr. Sarson when he ought to have been attending upon me. A little more hot milk, if you please, Esther. And now, although he really is not fit to leave his room, he insists upon hurrying off to keep an appointment somewhere on the continent. The little operation we spoke of last night was successful, as Dr. Sarson prophesied, and Mr. Dunster was quite conscious and able to sit up early this morning. We telephoned at six o'clock to Norwich for a surgeon, who is now on his way over here, but he will not wait even to see him. What can you do with a man so obstinate? Neither Hamel nor Gerald had resumed their places. The former, after a moment's hesitation, turns towards the door. I think, he said, that I should like to see the last of Mr. Dunster. Pray do, Mr. Fentlin begged. I have said good-bye to him myself, and all that I hope is that the next time you offer a wayfarer the hospitality of St. David's Hall, Gerald, he may be a more tractable person. This morning I shall give myself a treat. I shall eat an old-fashioned English breakfast. Close the door after you, if you please, Gerald. Hamel, with Gerald by his side, hurried out into the hall. Just as they crossed the threshold, they saw Mr. Dunster, wrapped from head to foot in his long ulster, a soft hat upon his head, and one of Mr. Fentlin's cigars in his mouth, step from the bottom stair into the hall and make his way with somewhat uncertain footsteps towards the front door. Dr. Sarson walked on one side, and Meekins held him by the arm. He glanced toward Gerald and his companion, and waved the hand which held the cigar. "'So long, my young friend,' he exclaimed. "'You see, I got them to let me make a start. Next time we go about the country in a saloon car together, I hope we'll have better luck. Say, but I'm groggy about the knees.' "'You'd better save your breath,' Dr. Sarson advised him grimly. "'You haven't got any to spare now.' and you want more than you have before you get to the end of your journey. 
careful down the steps mind they helped him into the car hamel and gerald stood under the great stone portico watching well i'm jiggered the boy exclaimed under his breath hamel was watching the proceedings with a puzzled frown to his surprise neither dr sarson nor meekins were accompanying the departing man he's off right enough hamel declared as the car glided away do you understand it i don't gerald did not speak for several moments his eyes were still fixed upon the back of the disappearing car then he turned towards hamel there isn't much he said softly that mr fentland doesn't know if that detective was really on his way here there wasn't any chance of keeping mr dunster to himself you see the whole story is common property and yet there's something about the affair that bothers me and me hamel admitted watching the car until it became a speck in the distance he was fairly well cornered gerald concluded as they made their way back to the dining room but it isn't like him to let go of anything so easily so you've seen the last of our guest mr fentland remarked as hamel and gerald re-entered the dining room a queer fellow almost a new type to me dogged and industrious i should think he hadn't the least right to travel you know and i think so long as we had taken the trouble to telephone to norwich he might have waited to see the physician sarson was very angry about it but what can you do with these fellows who are never ill they scarcely know what physical disability means well mr hamel how are you going to amuse yourself today i had thought about commencing some reading i brought with me hamel replied but miss esther has challenged me to another game of golf excellent mr fentland declared it is very kind of you indeed mr hamel it is always a matter of regret for me that society in these parts is so restricted my nephew and niece have little opportunity for enjoying themselves play golf with mr hamel by all means my dear child he continued turning to his niece make the most of this glorious spring weather and what about you gerald what are you doing today i haven't made up my mind yet sir the boy replied mr fenton sighed always that lack of initiative he remarked a lack of initiative is one of your worst faults i'm afraid dear gerald the boy looked up quickly for a moment it seems as though he were about to make a fierce reply he met mr fentland's steady gaze however and the words died away upon his lips i rather thought he said of going to norwich if you could spare me captain holt has asked me to lunch at the barracks mr fentland shook his head gently it is most unfortunate he declared i have a commission for you later in the day gerald continued his breakfast in silence he bent over his plate so that his face was almost invisible mr fentland was peeling a peach a servant entered the room lieutenant godfrey sir he announced they all looked up a trim clean-shaven hard-featured young man in naval uniform was standing upon the threshold he bowed to esther very sorry to intrude sir at this hour of the morning he said briskly lieutenant godfrey my name i'm flag lieutenant of the britannia you can't see her but she's not fifty miles off at this minute i landed at sheringham this morning hired a car and made the best of my way here message from the admiral sir mr fentland smiled genially we are delighted to see you lieutenant godfrey he said have some breakfast you are very good sir the officer answered business first i'll breakfast afterwards with pleasure if i may the admiral's compliments and he would take it as a favor if you would haul down your wireless for a few days 
Haul down my wireless, Mr. Fentlin repeated slowly. We are doing a lot of maneuvering within range of you, and likely to do a bit more, the young man explained. You are catching up our messages all the time. Of course we know they're quite safe with you, but things get about, as yours is only a private installation, we'd like you, if you don't mind, sir, to shut up shop for a few days. Mr. Fentlin seemed puzzled. But, my dear sir, he protested, we are not at war, are we? Not yet, the young officer replied, but God knows when we shall be. We are under sealed orders, anyway, and we don't want any risk of our plans leaking out. That's why we want your wireless disconnected. You need say no more, Mr. Fentlin assured him. The matter is already arranged. Esther, let me present Lieutenant Godfrey, my niece, Miss Fentlin, Mr. Gerald Fentlin, my nephew, Mr. Hamill, a guest. See that Lieutenant Godfrey has some breakfast, Gerald. I will go myself and see my Marconi operator. Awfully good of you, sir, the young man declared, and I am sure we are very sorry to trouble you. In a week or two's time you can go into business again as much as you like. It's only why we are fiddling around here that the Admiral's jumpy about things. May my man have a cup of coffee, sir? I'd like to be on my way back in a quarter of an hour. Mr. Fentlin halted his chair by the side of the bell and rang it. "'Pray make use of my house as your own, sir,' he said gravely. "'From what you leave unsaid, I gather, that things are more serious than the papers would have us believe. Under those circumstances, I need not assure you that any help we can render is entirely yours.' Mr. Fentlin left the room. Lieutenant Godfrey was already attacking his breakfast. Gerald leaned toward him eagerly. "'Is there really going to be war?' he demanded. Ask those chaps at the Hague, Lieutenant Godfrey answered, doing their best to freeze us out or something. All I know is, if there's going to be fighting, we're ready for them. By the by, what have you got wireless telegraphy for here, anyway? It's a fad of my uncle's, Gerald replied. Since his accident, he amuses himself in all sorts of queer ways. Lieutenant Godfrey nodded. Poor fellow, he said. I heard he was a cripple or something of the sort. Forgive my asking, but... You people are English, aren't you? Rather, Gerald answered. The Fentolins have lived here for hundreds of years. Why do you ask that? Lieutenant Godfrey hesitated. He looked, for the moment, scarcely at his ease. Oh, I don't know, he replied. The old man was very anxious I should find out. You see, a lot of information seems to have gotten over to the other side, and we couldn't think where it had leaked out, except through your wireless. However, that isn't likely, of course, unless you've got one of those beastly Germans in your receiving room. Now, if I can borrow a cigarette, a cigar, or a pipe of tobacco, any mortal thing to smoke, I'll be off, if I may. The old man turned me out at an unearthly hour this morning, and in Sheringham all the shops were closed. Steady on, young fellow, he laughed, as Gerald filled his pockets with cigarettes. Well, here's good morning to you, Miss Fentlin. Good morning, sir. How long ought it to take me to get to Sheringham? About forty minutes, Gerald told him, if your car's any good at all. It isn't much, was the somewhat dubious reply. However, we'll shove along. You in the service, he inquired, as they walked down the hall together. Hope I shall be before long, Gerald answered. I'm going into the army, though. Have to hurry up, won't you? Gerald sighed. It's a little difficult for me. Here's your car. Good luck to you. My excuses to Mr. Fentlin, Lieutenant Godfrey shouted, and many thanks. He jumped into the automobile and was soon on his way back. Gerald watched him 
until he was nearly out of sight. On the knoll, two of the wireless operators were already at work. Mr. Fentland sat in his chair below watching. The blue sparks were flashing. A message was just being delivered. Presently, Mr. Fentland turned his chair and, with Meekins by his side, made his way back to the house. He passed along the hall and into his study. Gerald, who was on his way to the dining room, heard the ring of the telephone bell and the call for the trunk special line. He hesitated for a moment, then he made his way slowly down towards the study and stood outside the door, listening. In a moment he heard Mr. Fentland's clear voice, very low, yet very penetrating. The Mediterranean fleet will be forty-seven hours before it comes together, was the message he heard. The Channel fleet will maneuver off Sheerness, waiting for it. The North Sea fleet is seventeen units under nominal strength. Gerald turned the handle of the door slowly and entered. Mr. Fentland was just replacing the receiver on its stand. He looked up at his nephew, and his eyebrows came together. "'What do you mean by this?' he demanded. "'Don't you know that I allow no one in here when I am telephoning on the private wire?' Gerald closed the door behind him and summoned up all his courage. "'It is because I have heard what you are saying over the telephone that I am here,' he declared. "'I want to know to whom you are sending that message which you have intercepted outside.' End of chapter 21